Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Aaron. Let's go. Let's go to New York City. New York City? New York City. Oh, what was the year? Um, I think it's 1976. Oh, or that's right. I think it was 76 because, listeners, you're going New York City. Rocky wasn't filmed in New York City. Oh, that's right. Disclaimer. We do what we want to do up in this podcast. That's right. We learned from Jezebel. Well, our our guest had some issues with home maintenance and wasn't able to fully prepare. Hey, life, man. We rolled with the punches. We did. We we got we reset and we punted. We punted to the same year. Oh, I see you came up. This was it was your turn. So I was like, "Well, you have to pick the movie." Yeah. And it was like Oh my gosh, because I usually think about it for a while, unlike some people. <laughs> yeah. Although, but I went, okay. listeners, I do know exactly the movie already. I want it on the record. I know a movie. Wow. I'm picky. Okay, well, I decided let's stay with the same year. Just go up 95 a few miles to New York City. This movie is about an ex-veteran. Wait, wait, are you setting the table? No, just let me go. Oh, okay. Sometimes you just got to put people in their place. Oh, it's It's going to be one of those episodes, is it? (laughs) An ex-veteran who is lonely. He's a loner. He's detached from reality. And he has dreams of cleaning up the city. What would our, what would that be? Movie B, listeners. Hmm, yes, you're right. It would be Taxi Driver. Well, okay. Are you ready for the particulars? I don't know when to come in now. Go ahead and do the particulars, please. Taxi Driver. Released on February 8, 1976. Directed by Martin Scorsese. He also, this was his third film. He also. And our first Martin, yes. I, this might be our first Marty film. He also directed, listen to this Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, The Last Waltz, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, The Color of Money, The Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, The Age of Innocence. Casino, Bringing Out the Dead, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, Shutter Island, Hugo, The Wolf of Wall Street, and the upcoming Silence and the upcoming film The Irishman. Yeah, so he's a lightweight. Just kidding. Just to to name a few of his films. Plus he's done... Flash in the pan. Yeah, I mean, he's done a whole lot of documentaries. I mentioned The Last Waltz. I love that movie. I might pick it one day. Um, It was produced by husband and wife duo. Well, they were former husband and wife duo. We have Michael Phillips. He also produced The Sting, Close Encounters, don't tell close encounters of the third kind. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Mom and dad saved the world. The last Mincy. And Julia Phillips, 
who also produced The Sting, and she became the first female to win a Best Picture Oscar for The Sting. She also produced this movie and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was written by Paul Schrader. He wrote Raging Bull, The Last Temptation of Christ, Touch, and Bringing Out the Dead. He also wrote and directed Affliction, um... First Reformed, he directed Autofocus, he wrote and directed American Gigolo. And First okay. Reformed is, uh, that that came out last year with Ethan Hawke. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It, it's very similar to Taxi Driver, but contemporary. Wow, oh. it is the contemporary, like, Taxi Driver interesting there are a lot of similarities it's a very interesting movie so if you if you really liked taxi driver and you would like to see it with a little less racism and misogyny then the first (laughs) reformer is the film for you also very good performance by ethan hawk a lot of people thought that he got snubbed i i think i agree with them he gave a really good performance in that movie the music in this is also by one, maybe like at this point, honorary member of Gone with the Bushes, my main man, Bernard Herman. I mean, he did Psycho, North by Northwest, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo, Citizen Kane, Cape Fear, the Twilight Zone theme song, and Taxi Driver. This was the last work that he completed before his death wow Mm -hmm. the director of photography is michael chapman he also was the dp on the last waltz invasion of the body snatchers raging bull dead men don't wear plaid the man with two brains the lost boy scrooged ghostbusters 2 kindergarten cop the fugitive rising sun space jam and he also directed all the right moves it was edited by Marsha Lucas. She got a Best Editing Oscar for Star Wars. She was married to George Lucas and then divorced him. And then divorced him, I don't, either before or around. But she still managed to edit Return of the Jedi. She also edited American Graffiti and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And Tom Wolf, he... Uh, Edited Blue Collar, which Paul Schrader also, I think, he wrote, and he probably directed it, too. French Connection, Heaven's Gate, The Right Stuff, War Games, Nine and a Half Weeks, The Pelican Brief, Heat, The Horse Whisperer, and Wind Talkers. That guy's edited a lot of things. And his frequent collaborator, partner, was Melvin Shapiro. The cast, starring one, Robert. Bobby De Niro as Travis Bickle. And this is our first Bobby, right? I think this is our first Bobby. He was in Mean Streets, The Godfather 2, The Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, Brazil, Midnight Run, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, This Boy's Life, A Bronx Tale, which he also directed, Casino, Heat, Jackie Brown, and all they analyze this movie's all the Meet the Parent movies, Silver Linings Playbook. I mean, I my hand got tired. 
We yeah. know we know Bobby De Niro. Did you know that he's a junior? His I did read that. Mm-hmm. Both his parents were painters. And I, I, I knew they were artists. I didn't know what kind of artists. I believe painters. I know his dad was definitely a painter. And after his dad left his mom, his dad was like, I'm gay. Wow. Yeah. So it's possible that both his mom and dad do have a kimono. I think it's more than possible. We're going to chalk that up to 85% true. All right. I mean, he's an artist. Artists do wear kimonos. Yeah. Gay or straight, you're an artist. Put on your kimono. It is a family bush joke. (laughs) And unfortunately, the only family that's going to hear it are Aaron and me. But we thought it was funny. This is why we do our podcast. It's for (laughs) ourselves. We hope you enjoy it. Jodie Foster... She plays Iris Easy Stensima. I did the math and she was like 12 or 13 yeah. in no, real life. No, she was life. 12. She was 12 in real life when they filmed yeah. this movie. Nerd alert. Yes. Uh, she was 12, but she couldn't do the sex scenes and so her... 19-year-old sister did the sex scenes. Ah. You're welcome. Well. She was also in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Bugsy Malone, Freaky Friday, The Accused, which she won Best Actress for, Silence of the Lambs, which she won Best Actress for. She was also in and directed Little Man Tate, she was in Nell, Maverick, Contact, Anna and the King, Panic Room, Flight Cl- Flight Plan, Inside Man, The Brave One. She directed The Beaver, Money Monster, episodes of Orange is the New Black, episodes of House of Cards, and episodes of Black Mirror. Sybil Shepard played Betsy. She was in The Last Picture Show, Heartbreak Kid, Daisy Miller. But she's most famous, probably known for Moonlighting, right? Yes. And... She's most famous to me for Sybil, the CBS sitcom. I don't know if it was on CBS. I know that Christine Baranski, that was the first time that I saw Christine Baranski. Right. And I was like, she's hilarious. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Harvey Keitel shows up. Harvey Keitel. Playing, I don't really even know what this guy's name is. It's either Charles Sport, Rain, or Matthew. They're all listed in Wikipedia as his name. Oh, okay. He was in Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, The Last Temptation of Christ, The January Man. That's a, an Aaron Bush inside joke. Thelma and Louise, Bugsy, Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, Sister Act, The Piano, Pulp Fiction, Clockers. This put my hand ran out. I was just getting cramps because Harvey Keitel's been in everything since the 90s. He just shows up. It's crazy. Albert, it's always a good performance. Mm-hmm. Albert Brooks, he played Tom. He was in Private Benjamin, Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, Defending Your Life, Mother, Drive, The Voice in Finding Nemo, Finding Dory. He's in The Secret Lives of Pets. He's also the real-life brother of um, 
that the guy that played Super Dave and he recently passed away. I think his name was Bob Einstein because Einstein was his last name. And so he changed his name from Albert Einstein to Albert Brooks. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we also have Leonard Harris, who played Charles Palantine. He was also a, he was a critic and an author um, and an actor, obviously. The other movie he was in was Hero at Large. Peter Boyle played Wizard. He yep. was in The Candidate, Young Frankenstein. He was in Malcolm X, The Santa Claus, Cagney and Lacey, a whole bunch of TV shows. But everybody knows him from Everybody Loves Raymond. And yes. we have Harry Northup, Doughboy. He was in Mean Streets. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Blue Collar, Philadelphia, Beloved, and Silence of the Lambs. And there are your particulars. Whew. That is a that is that is an awesome particular list. Well done. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, it it is an hour and fifty three minutes. Uh, Bobby De Niro. I think there are only two scenes that he wasn't in. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. It starts out with some really eerie music, and there's a lot of smoke, and then out of the smoke comes a taxi. And you get a close-up of a very young Robert De Niro. Nerd alert! So, oh. for shooting in the taxi, they put the sound, the sound guy in the trunk. Martin Scorsese and Michael Chapman were on the floor of the cab, and they just used available light. And Chapman said he was influenced by the French New Wave filmmaker Jean-Luc. Godard and his cinematographer and how they basically just used what was available because they didn't have the money for anything else. Interesting, because I thought that the cinematography was really interesting. It was, it's very influential. And it's raining. There's rain on the windshield and it makes everything real smeary looking. And the streets are wet. And then you see him applying for a job as a taxi driver because he says he'll work anytime, anywhere because he can't sleep anyway. So he might as well be, and he drives around, so he might as well be getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. And we find out that he was in the Marines. He got an honorable discharge in 1973, which means that he would have been in the Marines during Vietnam. He was in which the might account for his loner, detached from reality issues. And his insomnia. Yeah. And, yeah, everything. Well, we it's May 10th, and we know that because he's writing in a journal. Oh. Very, um, th I, that surprised me. That, But that, that was his only communication. He was pretty much communicating with himself. As he's driving along um, the streets of New York City, he drives by a theater where they're showing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I thought that that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm. And he, he is uh, talking to himself and he's going, the animals all come out at night. This place is sick. It's venal. Well, I had to look up what does venal mean? And, Corrupt. Oh, 
I have a nerd alert. Okay. Because you were surprised that he was writing in his diaries. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul Schrader, we'll get into more of it later, but he looked at the diaries of Arthur Bremer, the guy who shot the 1972 presidential candidate George Wallace. Oh. So he said he read his diary and he was like, oh, so it it kind of makes sense, I guess. So he kind of in that the the diaries inspired this screenplay. Well, no, I can. What it added to it, what inspired the screenplay was that Schrader was he was a writer and he was working with Pauline Kael and. Then his marriage broke up and his girlfriend broke up and he was living in Los Angeles in a car and he had insomnia and he had had bouts of insomnia when he was in New York and he would go into the, 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 uh, like the porno movie theater places mm-hmm. and the bookshops because those were the only places that were open all night and he had insomnia and so... He had that part of his life, and then when his life was, like, really down in the dumps, when he was living in his car, he had to go to the hospital because he got an ulcer, and when he talked to the nurse, he realized that that was the first person that he had talked to in weeks, and so he started, he just started writing, he was 26, and he just started writing, um, the screenplay for the taxi driver because he he liked the metaphor that this guy was riding around the city in an iron box which is like an iron coffin just wow. by himself and so he kind of put all of that into it and then he probably was like oh let me read what's his face's diaries oh interesting okay mm-hmm. well mr de niro wants the rain he likes the rain because he wants it to wash the filth of the city away and he's talking about how every day when he takes his taxi back into the place he has to clean the back seat because of many nasty things that have happened back all there. the bodily fluids all of them Ugh. um he goes into a triple x rated movie and um there is someone there who at the concession stand and he he tries to get her name um and she refuses to give it to him nerd alert that was his wife. Whose wife? Um, that was uh, Robert De Niro's wife. Really? That's what I read. Oh, wow. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> I found it interesting. He just kept buying stuff at the concession stand kind of to talk to her. He got two boxes of goobers, one Clark bar, a popcorn, a Royal Crown soda for a dollar eighty-five. I know. I wrote that down too. It's one <laughs> and, of my best reheatables. <laughs> and he can't sleep. Well, um, then it's a it's a new day and it's a sunny day, and he's driving and he sees this angel, this woman who is an angel in a white dress. And of course he wants an angel to come and save, you know, the devilish city. But uh, that, that angel is Sybil Shepherd. 
She's working for a senator, Senator Palatine, who is campaigning for president. And she see uh, she sees this taxi outside campaign headquarters, and she says to Albert Brooks, who is also working there, that guy is staring at me through the window. And, uh, you know, he's been doing it a really long time. And uh, you can tell that Bobby is just infatuated. Bobby, who now we know his name is Travis. Travis so I will call Bickle. Him Travis from now on. All right. And... Sybil Shepard, whose name is Betsy in the movie. Okay, well, uh, Albert Brooks goes in and chases him off, but not in a very manly way. Yeah, Albert Brooks definitely wants to be with Sybil Shepard, but he's just very, he's very kind of nerdy and not really what she's looking for. Every male in the movie and universe wanted to be with Sybil Shepherd at this point. Ah. Okay, so the next scene, it, it, it's nighttime driving. They show the fare and uh, the, the fare of the taxi. And then they show the traffic lights. And then it goes back to the fare. So it shows that he's just driving. And he's picking up people and taking them where they go. But nerd alert! Scorsese wanted the movie. He thought movies to be drug-induced reveries or like dreams. And he wanted viewers to be in limbo between sleeping and walking. Ah. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like I found it very much like it was trying to lull you into that feeling where every like Travis because he has insomnia. So how every day just blends into the next. Right. And it keeps going and going. And you don't know what's real and what's not because you're not sleeping. Right. Which was odd because I had to rewind this movie three times. Because you did fall asleep? The last hour. I was looking at the clock. I was like, I got an hour to go. I can do it. And three times I caught myself like, what just happened? How did we get here? How did Jodie Foster show up? Let me rewind it. Yeah, she showed up late. When's the the last thing that you remember seeing? Man, I was out for a while. And (laughs) keep in mind, people, when I watch these movies, I sit on the floor so that I will not, not because they're boring, but it's the end of a long work it's week. Just for her. the end of the long work week for me. And if I get on my side, I'm out. So I sit on the floor, Indian style. I'm sorry. <gasps> I am sorry. Crisscross applesauce style. Crisscross applesauce style. My goodness. That's, I don't. I think we could have done better than crisscross applesauce. Well, I always said. Pretzel style. Pretzel style. Yeah, your legs are like a pretzel. I sat cross-legged. Okay. You all know how I was sitting. Okay. Yeah, and we had to rewind. Just fell asleep like that. Had to rewind it. I'm like, how are you falling asleep sitting straight up? But yeah. You were a tired girl. (laughs) Yep, that was me. Well, Travis goes into a diner where other uh, taxi drivers go, and they are telling taxi driver stories, which uh, I'm sure they were true. 
Oh yeah, is that the one where the guy, he's about to leave Doughboy and he brings this like piece of porcelain and he says it's Errol Flynn's bathtub? Yes. And then he wants, he's, and there's a lot, there's like a serial number kind of on it. One side and the other side, you can see lines and he's like, that's with one person. That's with two people. That's the three person line. And then he's like, hey, Travis, you want to see if you can take it and then like see if you can get any money from it and we'll split it half ways. And it's like, well, boy, get out of here. Nobody wants your stupid piece of porcelain. Like, who? What? Who's gonna buy? That's this is dumb. Okay, well, um, there are pimps in the diner. You know them because they have the feathers in their hats. Oh, I don't think I put those them down in my POC count. I forgot. Two well, pimps. There were some there, and Travis is just staring at him, Adam. Um, and they say, "You want a piece of me?" At this point, Travis is dropping an Alka-Seltzer into water, and we see the plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, oh what, what a relief it is. is. And then there's a long shot, and you just see him driving all over town. Yeah. Okay. Albert Brooks is at the campaign headquarters. Travis goes in to volunteer. He doesn't care about the campaign. He just wants to talk to Betsy. So she goes, well, yeah, you can come in here um, during the day and you can do this and that. And he goes, I drive a taxi at night, um, but uh, how about you come and have coffee with me? Have come, come and get coffee and a piece of pie with me. And then he starts, like, analyzing her because she's like, yeah, right. I'm going to go out with a guy who, first of all, just walked in here. Second of all, tells me he's a taxi driver. And um, he goes, you know, you know, I, I see you as a lonely person. And I think you need something. And I think you need a friend. And she says, are you going to be my friend? And but she's she says, you're different because he's talking to her like this instead of the usual talk to try to get a date. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, you know what? I have a I have a break at four o'clock. So they do indeed go for a cup of coffee he gets a piece of apple pie with melted cheese i've heard this is the second time i've hearing of that yeah yeah and she gets a fruit plate and this scene was nerd alert improvised mm. i would think that would be hard for bobby are you kidding me he's rather he freaking likes de niro I know, but he really, he, he likes to over-rehearse. He likes to over-rehearse the way the athletes like to overly practice so that he's so re well-rehearsed that if anything happens, he can spontaneously react to it truly in character. Okay. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, so then he's talking to her and he's saying, when I first saw you through that window, I felt a connection. Now, that fellow you work with, I don't think he respects you. Um, and she goes, I never met anyone like you. And he goes, you want to go to a movie with me? And um, she goes, you know what? You remind me of a Chris Christopherson song. He's a prophet and a pusher, a walking contradiction. 
And so next scene, he goes to buy that album. And in the, he has a voiceover as he's driving. And you find out that they're going to go to the movie tomorrow. Which is, you, you find it a little odd that she's actually going out with him. Well, I, I, th- I thought because, ba- because earlier we had had a scene where it was between Tom, Albert Brooks, and her. And you could tell that he was trying really hard, but she wasn't into it. I don't know. I just got the feeling from her character that she was just kind of bored and yeah. was looking yeah. to try something new and different because everything that she had been doing wasn't working out. And like he, even though he, I don't, there was just something about him. He was pretty smooth in what he was saying and stuff. Right. And what he was saying was accurate. Yeah. So and that's what was freaking her out. She was like, you know, who, I mean, do you have to think about like who she is as a person? Her job is she is running a campaign for a guy that's running for president. So, you know, she's all about that. I have to, I, I'm looking open for open-mindedness and, um, like wanting to be inspired, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I just assumed that she and the senator were hooking up. Oh, there was never any mention of it at all. There wasn't at all. But at you were just all? like, she's Sybil Shepherd. Mm-hmm. You're like, exhibit A, her face. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, it's 1975. And he's exhibit a candidate. B, he's, he's a, a candidate. politician. Yeah. yeah. So you connect the dots. <laughs> well, then the next day, the cab pulls up. And in the cab gets Char- Charles Pallad. Palad, palad, yeah. Yeah, it's tin. I wrote palad because I was writing paladino. Um, and and so uh, Bobby De Niro's like, oh my gosh, you know, I know about you and, and you're going to win. And um, uh, why, are you, why are you taking a taxi? And he said, well, but I learned more from riding in taxis all over this town than I ever learned from riding in limos. Um, tell me now, tell me if, if I'm elected, what is one thing that really bugs you the most? Oh, but my wait, because before we know who it is, when he gets in the taxi cab, you just hear him and he's, and somebody in his group, they all are like, we should have like waited for the limo and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. we're taking the cat taxi. And then when they when he realizes that this guy recognizes him and knows who he is, then he bec- turns on the politician thing and is like, oh, I'm a man of the people. Of course, mm-hmm. I, I've there's nothing more that I can learn from this country rather than just going around in the taxi cabs. It's where I got my education. And, and yeah. what what and sir, what, what will you have me do if I if I should win? And, uh, so Bobby goes, uh, well, uh, you could clean up this city, clean up the filth and the scum and flush it down the fucking toilet. But he said it, he said it less threatening, but yet you were, he was able to be like, oh man, this guy. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. 
Like, doing a Rodney Dangerfield. Wow. Like he just sounds like he's just right on the verge, right on the edge there, that razor's edge between like, oh, this guy's completely sane and like, I don't know about this guy. Yeah. Well, he drops off the senator and his peeps and he's at a red light and this girl jumps in his cab, this girl with a white floppy hat and short, short, short shorts. And it is indeed Jodie Foster, also known as Iris, also known as Easy. Easy. Because she was. And she's going, go, go, go. And before he can, a pimp comes and grabs her out of the car and tells her, be cool, bitch. And so um, Bobby is a little upset by this. And then we see street scenes. We see uh, he's driving through some part of the city where people of color are throwing stuff at his cab. Um, he keeps his money in a in a real cigar box on the seat next to him, but he, he hasn't gotten robbed that I saw. The next day, he has on a shirt and tie and a jacket, and he goes to pick Betsy up for their date. And he gives her the album. And she said, oh, well, well, but why didn't you keep it for yourself? And he said, well, my record player is broken. We have seen his apartment, and it is... It's Spartan. Uh, Spartan, not clean, roach motelish. Uh, he doesn't even have sheets on his bed. Okay, so he takes her to see Sometime Sweet Susan, which is indeed a porno flick. Nerd alert. It's a, in the movie, it's supposed to be a Swedish sex education film. (laughs) But in real life, they used, I'm looking for my note. Oh, Swedish sex education film. And in the film, they used an American sexploitation film called Freedom from Denmark with Swedish sound. And she is uncomfortable. She said, what? What? This is a dirty movie. And he's like, well, I, I, I didn't know what you wanted to see. We can we can go and see something else. That's okay. I mean, we kind of knew it was weird. Because the audience knew when he they're t- walking and talking, and then he's going up to the movie theater, and I'm pretty sure it's the same one that we saw him get that incredible deal. He should have just been like, "Look, anything you want, we can get all of this, all these concessions for five dollars. That's why we come here. That's why we're here. Anything that you want, anything you see. Um, but I was, I was like, he, I said out loud, he's taking her to a porno. Yeah, I did too. Well, and just the the part of town they were in, I was surprised that she wasn't alerted a little earlier. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Okay. So she gets up and walks out. I mean, in her nice white knit I'm surprised she even sat down. I would not have. (laughs) Yeah, not without my Clorox wipes. And... Um, he runs after her, goes, oh, I, what, what? I don't understand. She goes, taking me to a place like this is about as exciting as saying you want to fuck. 
and she leaves and she jumps in a taxi and he's going, I drive a taxi. What do you jump? And gives him back the record and says, I already have one. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'm out of here. And his, he, he's so out of it that he has no idea Like he just thinks that that's a movie. He, right. He, to him, like that's how far gone this, how antisocial this guy is that he doesn't even realize like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is playing. Right. Right. <laughs> Like to him, I want to go to a movie. You go to this place. You go to this movie. Well, the next day he's calling her to apologize. And you only hear his end of the conversation. And he's going, um, um, you know, you, you think you want to have dinner in a few days? Oh, okay. Well, maybe just a cup of coffee. Hey, did, did you get my flowers? Yeah, he's harassing her. Can I call again? Uh, so long. And nerd alert. During this scene, the camera goes from him at the payphone to a long hallway. And it was because Scorsese was saying it was too painful to have to watch him go through this rejection. So we're looking down a long hallway while he finishes being rejected oh okay okay he calls again she won't come to the phone he's talking about his headaches he gets lots of headaches and he then he decides he's going to pick himself up by the bootstraps and move on because you're only as healthy as you feel so he walks into the headquarters again and albert tries to stop him and um he he goes up to her and she's going I don't want anything to do with you and he says you're in hell you're just like the rest of them you're cold and distant so you know she had she had kind of seen something in him that was different but then now she's you know read the handwriting I made a horrible mistake yes exactly well the next scene is Mr. Scorsese himself in the cab as the passenger about this, this this morning do you think that, that he was a real or do you think he was part of travis's like a hallucination by travis because he, we never he, this isn't the kind of movie where he like characters hallucinate and stuff but i did wonder if his character was a real person yeah because i was I, like <laughs> this he was like pretty racist. I mean, Travis is pretty racist. And so I like when the movie would do things, I was like, Oh, you know, that's Travis. He's, he's a racist character, you know? You, Cause I'm like, Oh, this isn't really holding up well, but if you're making a movie about a racist character, he's going to be racist. And then I was thinking about this scene with Martin Scorsese because it had always been like from Travis's point of view, but then Martin Scorsese's character shows up and he's sitting in the cab. He wants him to keep the meter running and he's there on the street and he's like, look up the third in the window. You see that woman? That's my wife. And that apartment belongs to, and he says the N word. And so he's like, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to shoot her in her. And he says the P word. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, the racism and misogyny is just, my mind was, I was like, whoa. Um, 
But it's just the two of them in there. Because at that point, I was just like, man, this is this is like a pretty racist movie. Because I was like, is this a racist movie? Or is it just, this is a character about a racist? But then I was thinking like, but we only ever see Martin Scorsese's character this one time. Who is to say that he isn't just a figment of Travis's imagination? Like if he really exists or not? Because Travis is having, he's not having any response when the character is saying, I'm going to kill her. Yeah. And then the next scene, he's talking to the other cab drivers and he's saying how he's, he's not telling them he's spiraling out of control, but he's saying, you know, I'm having some thoughts and, and yeah. he is starting to spiral out of control. So that was well done. I, there, right? it, it was I purely made that because I just, I was like, I don't want Martin Scorsese to be a racist. <laughs> I mean, maybe he is, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and still, he, if it were a real person, he was just playing a character. I know, he's just like playing a, a character and stuff, but it was, it I was just real jarring. Cause then I was like, has Martin Scorsese, like who have been the female leads in his movies? And I'm mm-hmm. like, huh? I'm still thinking. Mm. <laughs> so if just for like last night while I was watching the movie, it just wasn't looking real good for old Marty from the the block of Aaron Bush. Yeah. I mean, I still think he's a fantastic director and stuff, but I was I was examining something that I had never done up to that. I'm like, well, I know his wow. m- movies are like Italian and they're always like Italian based and stuff, but huh? I was like, it's huh? Well, I think that's a really good comment. I couldn't think of the word I wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, because and then right before I went, we did this. I looked up this thing, and Paul Schrader, the writer was saying how there's a difference between a racist film and a racist character. And I was like, ah, yes, like Travis is. Because when we were watching the movie and we get to the POC count, I mean, we'll run down it. It was just like, it just wasn't a real good look for for people of color and for oh, women. Right. <laughs> right. That's true. Okay, well, the, the next day he is in the cafeteria with four other cabbies. And he, he uh, wants to talk to the wizard. Peter Boyle, and he goes, I, I just want to go out. I, I got some really bad ideas in my head. See, and he just had that encounter either with a fiction, uh, a figment of his imagination or a person who just wanted to kill his wife and and be extremely racist at the same time. And so um, the wizard is going, you know, it, it, this job can mess with your head. Um, a a lot of times you get a job and you become that job. Um, but you know what? We're all fucked up more or less. So don't worry so much. You're all right. (laughs) Here's this guy going, I got some bad ideas in my head. And he's going, eh, we all do. Yeah. Yeah, But look who he's tied to. He's talking to the wizard, Peter Boyle. Like he's like, he's a, like a white guy in America, middle, you know, like blue collar and stuff. Not exactly the demographic that's known for the, now tell me your feeling. Now, how did that make you feel? You know, 
and especially that generation there's <laughs> that was the like what are you talking nothing just uh walk it off be a man nobody wants man to hear up. about your problems your problems are for women um the next day he's watching an interview with palatine palatine whatever the dude's name is and so you're seeing him starting to become obsessed with this senator and so right away i'm thinking oh he's gonna he's gonna assassinate mm -hmm. because it was you know in the 60s assassination happened over and over well, um in the 70s too i mean I, yeah because because okay. of wallace 72 oh I was going to be extremely <laughs> not politically correct. And like, I, I reined it in. I, I, I Wallace was a racist, in. right? <laughs> he was like super yeah. racist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we don't, that, that's not the, we don't look at that the same as we look at. Um, not me. <laughs> yeah. Not nor history. Cause I was like, oh yeah, that guy did get shot. <laughs> Yeah, he didn't die. He ended up in a wheelchair. Yeah, then Gary Sinise played him in like an HBO film or something. Where he continued to be able to be a racist. Okay, so next scene, it's daytime He or nighttime. I don't know. But that's not the important thing. He's driving his cab and, he, you know, his mind, he's talking in his mind. And um, he almost hits Jodie Foster. She's crossing the street with another girl. So then he starts following her because, you know, he wants to help her. And they, she notices that he's following. And the other girl goes, just ignore him, just ignore him, keep walking with me. And they meet up with two guys and they go off to do what prostitutes do. I, so it's, Please, it's sex worker is the proper nomenclature of our times. If you're going to get on me about crisscross applesauce... That is true. Well, I have it a question. Is. But at this time, it was a prostitute. Go ahead. So I knew that, like, well, I'm watching the movie, and I know Jodie Foster's character comes in. I, I think to myself, oh, that's a young Jodie Foster. Yes. But I did not think to myself, that's a 12-year-old person. Which, and I, I didn't know until in the movie they were like, "How old are you? You're you're like 12? Because I just thought that she was. I knew. I'm how like how can I explain it? Like, I, when I'm watching this movie now, I've had a history of thirty something years with Jodie Foster, where I know her face, and I'm like, yeah, she's Jodie Foster. And so when, yeah. but when I'm watching this movie now and she's well, like, it's cause it's the same thing with like Robert De Niro. I know his face. I'm just like, wow, Robert De Niro looks so young and he was playing a character who's 26. And in this he's 32. Oh, okay. and if you had told me he was 19, I would have believed it. Yeah. So when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, yeah, it's Jodie Foster. I'm just like, it's yeah, a young Foster, I'm just like, it's a young, could have been 18. Yeah. I, so yeah. am I supposed to like have known when I was watching it? Like that's a 12 year old girl. Yes. Cause I didn't, I was just like, that's, that's young Jodie Foster. 
Yes. You were supposed to be shocked by how young she was. Oh. I was shocked by how young she was because I'm used to her older. And I'm like, but I wasn't shocked because like she, she didn't seem like she was 12 to me. But then also I know she was a child prodigy. So did she ever really look 12? I don't know. I just thought that it was, it it was just weird. Cause I'm like, am I supposed to be shocked that she's 12 years old? And like, you can tell she's 12. Cause I was like, okay. And then he is saying, uh, loneliness followed me my whole life everywhere. So he's always been a, a lonely guy. A lonely boy. He's writing in his journal, June 8th, and he says, my life has taken a turn. And he gets in the cab and he meets Easy Andy, who is a traveling salesman. And and Easy Andy is selling guns. Well, because Doughboy, they were when they were talking earlier in the movie, they talked about a cab driver getting, I think, getting robbed and stuff. And they said, oh, you know, you go all over the city because a lot of cab drivers didn't go everywhere in the city. Right. And he was like, yeah, I go everywhere. And he's like, well, you go to some rough neighborhoods. You ever, you know, you carry a gun. He's like, no, I don't have a gun. He's like, well, if you ever need a gun, let me know. So then when his life takes a turn, he's with the guy because it was set up with Doughboy to get him a piece. Well. It ends up he doesn't get just get a piece. He buys he buys all the pieces. He buys like four different guns and a big old knife. Mm-hmm. And, and a custom made holster from Mexico. And then the um, easy Andy goes, okay. Now that I've sold you that, hey, is there anything else you want? You want nope. You want some amphetamines. You want some weed. You want some. And all of that part after the gun sale was ad libbed. Oh. Nerd alert. That was good. Well, now Travis is working out. He, he, hey, he is. Mind getting, right, body right. That's right. Every muscle must be tight. And he is putting some muscle on. And he's watching porn, and he says an idea is growing in his brain. Sometimes all the king's men cannot put it back together again. Mm. Well, he's he's, uh, also working on making an arm cannon. What do you call that? Uh, Yeah, it's the thing where you hide the gun in the inside of your forearm, and you click it, and then it just, like, pops it. There's a term for it. We just aren't in the know enough. But I was exactly. like, how did this? Did he learn that in Vietnam to create that? I, I don't mean, know. Because he took apart a, a drawer and used some of the drawer hardware to make this. And then had something that could be like a snap release so that the. And like a the, cast, like half a plaster cast and stuff. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. Well, he's wearing all of these guns and he has a knife. <clears throat> At this point, an hour has passed. And he's and then he starts practicing. He does his little moves and stuff. He did he does the iconic Are you talking to me? 
He does his, are you talking you to talking me? Talking to me? Yep. And there you have it. Now, I, I do have some other things that happened. He shows up at a Palatine uh, rally. So you're sure that he's going to kill. Oh, is this where he has the, the mohawk or before? No, this is this ah. is before that. This is when he's talking to the Secret Service agent. Mm. And he's saying that he wants to be a Secret Service agent. And so the, the Secret Service agent says, uh, tell me your name and address and I'll send you all the stuff. Because he is extremely suspicious right now. Talking about what kind of guns do the Secret Service carry. And so, um, yeah. Mm. Then he's in a bodega buying something and a stick-up happens. I forgot and, about that. Yeah, and and he comes over and just shoots the guy in the face. I need to put that in the count. And then he's at home yeah. watching American Bandstand with his guns pointed at the TV. American Bandstand. Because on American Bandstand, there happen to be people of color dancing. And it's like, oh my God. Oh, I thought it was like a soap opera. I didn't even there, realize it was that a it soap was... opera after that. And oh. that's when it kicked the TV down. Ah. And then uh, he uh, wants to help Jodie Foster get out of the biz. And I will just say there is an assassination attempt. And that is. All I'm gonna say. Well, I have a nerd alert about that because when he shows up for the at attempt, he has that's when he has that mohawk that you've probably seen in memes and stuff. It's yeah, and very, very that big. that idea came from an actor, Victor Magnata. He, I think, was the guy that played the Secret Service agent. He told Scorsese that in Vietnam. When you saw a guy with a mohawk, that meant that he was going on a special forces type mission and you didn't oh. want to go anywhere near that guy because that guy was ready to kill. Oh, so good one. Yeah. So you're like, oh, make him shave his head into a mohawk. And then because that's he would have seen those guys. Wow. Mm -hmm. OK, well. Okay, POC. Yeah, POC. All right, so I have, there's in the beginning, there's six black youths throwing stuff at his car. I have one one sex worker, one guy walking down the street that he glares at that has like a, a, a chain and stuff. Um, there's a, like a crazy guy. Two pimps, the black robber gets shot in the face, another sex worker. There was one guy, one black guy, he was in the campaign. He was up on yes. the stage with him. Yes. Um, And maybe somebody else that was in the crowd. But other than that, all the black people in this movie were like just the, the point Not of view, I guess, from Bickle was that of just disgust and stuff. Right. They're like, oh, so I guess that my count is like roughly 14, but that is in no way an accurate count. Mostly right. what we're concerned about here is the depiction. Right. You know, there's no, exactly. there's no, all the women of color that you see are ladies of the evening. Right. 
and and the men are pimps or robbing a bodega or, or throwing menacing threats. Right. Right. Um yeah, no I don't remember any Asians. So it must not Yeah, he wasn't in that part of town. New York. Okay. Well, we've done nerd alerts as we go, which I think is a good way to do it. I also have, have a oh, I have a like a ton of them. So excellent. Let's see, Brian De Palma. He, um, you'll he directed Carrie, Scarface, The Untouchables. He introduced um, Martin Scorsese to Paul Schrader. Oh, and. Uh, Scorsese also listed Hitchcock's The Wrong Man and Jack Hazen's Bigger Splash as inspiration for camera work in the movie. Um, Paul Schrader, I mentioned the diaries of Arthur Bremer. He also was influenced by Jean-Paul Sartre's existential novel Nausea and by John Ford's film The Searchers. There's religious symbolism in the movie where um, Travis Bickle is sort of seen as a saint to purge the city and mind mm-hmm. of weakness. He, at the end of the film, he tries to kill himself to give himself a warrior's death, like the samurais and the seppuku. Mm-hmm. Um, it got an R rating, but it was going to get an I guess at the time X rating yeah, because of the, the violence time. at the mm-hmm. end. Um, but it got an R because Scorsese desaturated the color of the final scene to oh. make the blood not as red. And I was like, Oh man, this all of a sudden got really dark. Like, um, yeah, I mean, dark tone wise and also dark. Yeah. Uh, light wise. It is a dark movie. Mm hmm. Um, De Niro lost 35 pounds. He got his taxi driver's license. He was also shooting Bartello Bartolucci's 1900 in Italy at the same time. And so he would listen while this was in pre, not at the same time, but in pre-production while this movie was in pre-production. And so he listened to to tapes of Arthur Bremer. And then he also went to a military base in Northern Italy to tape and hear soldiers with Midwest accents. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I didn't feel like he had an accent at all. Cause I'm from the Midwest mm-hmm. there. So the, um, and then there's like the nerd alerts, the streets, this was shot during the summer. There was a heat wave and there was some sort of strike, I think going on. This was 1970s New York was a horrible place and like a cesspool. And there's some people Mm -hmm. who to this day, they dismiss it because they like the vibrancy of the city. But like a lot of this movie, the those um, and you'll see it, too, if you ever watch the the deuce on HBO. I was just thinking it's it's, very deuce ish. Yeah. There's all those like where the sex workers hang out and the bookstores and the neon lights and it's very sleazy and stuff. And when they were shooting this film, the area that they were shooting it was um, they were able to do whatever they wanted because the buildings were all condemned and stuff. And now you think about it and that's like 
it's time like you think of Times Square and just everything in New York is so much cleaner and it's still like a a city so it's dirty but it's so clean and it was just crazy looking at it I'm like my god New York in 1970 was it looks post-apocalyptic now well during alert it was also during the the trash workers strike so that's why there was so much extra trash on the street. Yeah, but I yeah. I've heard stories about 1970s New York and how yeah. it was just And there are those who the old people who they're like, "Yeah, but there was a vibrancy. Now they think it's like this Disney-fied." Cuz the streets, the things were like the buildings where it was condemned and it was awful, and no one wanted to live there now. It's insanely priced now. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah you know everything there you go to new york now and everything is just you're just like where do normal people afford to live jeez new jersey yeah everything's legal in new jersey <laughs> so those are those are my the rest i'll say for my tasty nuggets yeah okay so reheat bowls. okay i do have some positive reheatables. oh Okay. One is, um, I remember when Sarah Jessica Parker won an Emmy, no, uh, a Golden Globe right after 9-11. And she um, said that the fifth um, Sex in the City character was New York City. And I felt like New York City, like we just discussed, was... Like it's, um, it's a character. Yeah, it's a character. In and of itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did like that he tried to save Iris. Well, he did save Iris. (laughs) He did. He sent her back to the family that she ran away from and was like, she would rather be living as a 12-year-old sex worker in New York City than with these people. And yeah, Shouldn't we examine like her father, perhaps? I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my other reheatable is, you want to talk about Betty Davis eyes? Let's talk about Sybil Shepherd eyes. Ah. Those eyes. And I thought... Was she having an affair with Martin Scorsese because, or or with the um, with Chapman was, with Michael Chapman? Yeah, because uh, her eyes were lit perfectly. I I don't know. Maybe yeah, they were be- uh, they were beautiful. And my other, my last favorable reheatable is Harvey Keitel was a white pimp. <laughs> Yeah, there are white pimps. Nerd alert. (laughs) In the Harvey Keitel was was supposed to play the part that um uh, Tom. Oh, he Harvey Keitel was supposed to be Albert Brooks's character. Yes, and when he when he got there, he went. No, I I don't want that character. I want the pimp. And they go, well, the pimp is supposed to be a black dude. He goes, I can be a pimp. Oh, because I read that they were going to have the pimp be a black guy. But then because at the the end of the shootout, it was all going to be all black people. And they were like, guys, 
Um, oh. Do you really want to have a massacre where only black people are killed? And they were like, and they go, there might be riots. <laughs> and they yeah. were like, oh, all right. Oh. And that's how Harvey Keitel got to be the pimp. Oh, okay. Well, we read different ways. Uh, and, you know, judging from the, the rest of the movie, yeah, they wouldn't mind all of the dead people to be black. Yeah. I was just like, well, that's, you know what? That's reading the room. Like, we're we're pushing it a little already, guys. <laughs> a little. Why don't my we kind of ease on up? Okay, my negative reheatables. Mm-hmm. What, do you How? want me to do my best? Oh, okay, go ahead. My best, we already said, was the $1.85 for all of those <laughs> snacks. Are you kidding me? You can't get a $1.85 RC Cola, but he got all that stuff. And what are chuckles? Because he asked if they had any chuckles, and they're like, we only have what you see here. Oh, wait, but they did have chuckles. Well, but, and they had Clark Bar. No, he wanted Jujubes. He wanted Jujubes. He wanted Jujubes, and he called them Jujubes. Jujubes, yeah. But they had chuckles. Chuckles were like um, a gummy, a rectangular gummy, only it was it was red and yellow and green and and probably blue and purple and then and then they had a sugar top on them and they came looking like a rainbow like lifesavers no they were gummy yeah but but and rectangular yeah but gummy rectangular looking like lifesavers okay like with the different colors Yes, yes, with the different colors. Okay. And then my my second and last best reheatable was Harvey Keitel's arms. Oh, yes. I was like, oh, my gosh, that guy is ripped. Look at his biceps. Yes. Jeez Louise, yeah. Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was impressive. Damn. So there you have it. Okay. My negatives. We're starting with every offensive term for everybody, especially black people, but gay people. And I'm sure every everybody, everybody got those colorful offensive terms. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Um. Um, I have watching going to a porno uh, on your date. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, him watching, um, the soap operas with his gun. I thought that was, yeah. With his gun drawn. Well, that's okay. just American. Um, beating the dead robber, the store owner then comes around and beats the, the guy is shot and they, he just proceeds to beat him with a stick. I think he, I think he did that though because, um, because Travis shoots him, and then Travis is like, "I don't have a permit for this gun," and the shopkeeper is just grateful that Travis was there and like basically saved him, and so he was like, "Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it." And I okay. think he was, 
I got the impression that he was beating him to make it harder for the to identify how he died. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know. I expected him because I thought didn't he have a rifle? I thought he was going to take the rifle and shoot him where Travis had already shot him. Because he could say, this is my bodega. I was being robbed, so I shot him. But I don't know. Yeah, but you were still, I mean, the the bullet is like still, unless it was like through and through kind of thing. But then, you know what? If we've learned anything from all of the true crime that we have listened to, it's that um, fingers crossed even today that your case gets worked by solid by people who like know what That's they're true. doing. That's so in true. 1970s New York, like do you think that the forensics was just on point, especially when it comes to like, oh, a black guy came in armed to your bodega and now right. he's dead? I don't yeah. think they're going to be looking to be like, "Excuse me, sir. Wh- this bullet came from a a gun. Where is this gun? This this bu- these ballistics do not match your rifle." I don't I don't think that the NYPD was going and d- digging that much into the case. Yeah, there was no do 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 do. That was supposed to be the law theme and order. Song. <laughs> law and order. Boom. Okay. Um. Uh. N- not good. Reheatable. Uh, all the pimps. Not good. Reheatable. That mohawk was bad, but now I, I'm glad to know the backstory of it. Mm-hmm. That was just a signal. This guy's um, lost it. However, Harvey Keitel's wig well, was not good. Okay. Okay. Um, My worst reheatable was that Jodie Foster was a 12-year-old sex worker. <laughs> I mean... Did she have to be 12? <laughs> she st- she could have been like 19 and 20 and it's still hell. She could have been 40. You still could have been like, I'm going to save you. Um, that, I was like, huh? I yeah. already mentioned it multiple times. Him, him like, I'm going to take you to the movies. And then the movie that he takes <laughs> her to how this movie did. I mean, it was, it's, it's misogynist towards women and black people and POCs. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because, I mean, even Sybil Shepard's character, there's nothing inherently wrong with her. She, but yet watching the movie, you're made to be like, oh, she's an uptight bitch. But yes. she's not. No, <laughs> she, she's, she's just sensible. taking care of herself. Yes. Yeah. She's looking out for herself. She's like, this guy doesn't seem like he's all together there. And yeah, she's right. <laughs> he's not all together there. She should she should have left it. You you brought me to a porno place? Yeah, I'm getting in a cab. No, I'm not returning your calls. No, I'm not going out anywhere with you. And then at the end of the movie, when she gets yeah. in his cab. And then she's making eyes at him. Yeah. And then he's because he's a celebrity vigilante, whatever. And then he, um, d- you know, drops her off and kicks her to the curb. It's yeah. like, wh- no. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Yeah. So that was tough. Um, 
And then that's that's when I came up with my score, like Martin Scorsese's character, real or imaginary. That's still, that's it. That's a tough. That's a tough one. You're like, man, this guy. Someone needs to. If that is, if he in fact is a real character, he needed to be reported. Yeah. This is a Dateline yeah. waiting to happen. Yeah. And then my final worst reheatable. It's it's. It's it's fine because it gives the movie its character, but just, man, 1970s New York. Yeah. Ooh. Jeez Louise. That is, that is yeah. rough. Just grimy, yeah, dirty, crime-written. Yeah, I mean, I get, like, you kind of get where Travis is coming around, driving around that seat, looking at that, and... And because he wasn't driving Manhattan or, um, well, he, well, he would go everywhere, but mostly he would go to the places because nobody else would go to to those places. So he would always get the calls to go there and And he was there. So he'd pick up more fares there. Right. Exactly. So there we have it. Okay. My MVPs. I have two. Okay. I have two as well. Although mine are going to be controversial well my my first one is to the arm cannon because when he does use it 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 was pretty cool yeah it, that's a really cool thing like even anytime that shows up in, in like the old westerns and stuff mm-hmm. i love it i was a little bit taken aback like how does this guy know how to do this because I've, I have really seen, is that just a thing of his? Of like, well, he just doesn't apply himself. And to just show how messed up the war made him. Because maybe he was really good at engineering and then he went to the war and. Very possibly. The war just fucked him up. Or he could have been, he could have, yeah, worked with munitions and like, stuff. Is that just a thing that like all Marines know how to do? No, but if that were your certain. Uh, expertise because he just but uh, yeah I was just like wow did they I mean is that something they how did he learn how to do because instantly I thought they don't have the internet he couldn't google how to make no, that no he couldn't thing. google how to make that no he had to just figure it out but I felt by the way he talked and his observations that he was a, a really intelligent person just a really messed up intelligent person. Mm. Ah, point taken. And maybe he was running that Midwestern moonshine. Like maybe his family had run it. And so they knew how to do maybe. those things. Exactly. Needed that arm cannon. Yep. My other MVP, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. I mean, Harvey, I mean, Harvey Keitel's arms. That's well, what... but, but his whole, uh, the whole character he was, I liked him. Well, I didn't like the person he was, but I liked his portrayal of that character. Yes, I did too. Because my first MVP, I don't care what you said, it's Harvey Keitel's locks in this film. <laughs> that He is Samson, and that's where he got all of his power from, was from that hair. Well, okay. I was like, that's the real MVP right there, ladies and gentlemen. I was going to say it was Harvey Keitel's arms was the MVP, but I was like, no, it's the locks. Wow. That was. It's the locks 
The locks are the rug that tie the whole room together. My second MVP is something that is, I think maybe only I noticed. And it took me a long time to get over it because I was like, what the fuck? And I didn't, and I forgot, I wrote it down in my notes. I forgot to even look it up to see if it was a thing or if it was only a movie thing. Because a lot of times in movies, in the backgrounds, big blockbusters, they will, they'll put up fake ads and stuff. Like if you're riding around in LA on the backs of the buses, uh, like the benches and stuff, they'll have a lot of realtor posters and they'll have different advertisements. And so for movies, they'll sometimes they'll change those out and there'll be jokes and stuff, but it's hidden. So on the, I think it's in the coffee shop scene. There's a bus behind them. And I was looking and it's a large, because the bus billboards are large, it's drawn and it looked like olives coming out of a jar. And the in big letters, it said, olive it up. <laughs> and I was like, olive it up? There, I had so many questions about it. So this is a billboard advertising olives. Because it didn't have, uh, br- like it wasn't like, um, you know, such and such brand olives. It was just in general, buy olives because you need to olive it up. And when you look at olive it up, it's O and then live it up. <laughs> ah, it yeah. works because it's O live it up, but then it's olive it up. <laughs> I was just, I was tickled by that and also had so many questions about it in the 70s was was big olive a thing like hey you have big pharma now is there was there big olive for the olive producers like we need more people to buy olives no okay that made me laugh though did you notice harvey Keitel's pinky fingernail Oh, it was long for the cocaine. And and red. It was painted red. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Um, Recasting. Oh, yes. (laughs) Recasting. Okay. You can go ahead. I only have one. Oh. One cast. Yeah, I have one cast too. You're going to be mad. So for Travis, I have Daniel Aluya. How you say his name? Oh, Daniel. Yeah, there was in Get Out. Yes. Yes. For Betsy, Betsy had to be somebody gorgeous who knew she was gorgeous. I have Gabrielle Union. Oh. Mm-hmm. For Matthew. The pimp. This is a little con. I have Issa Rae. <laughs> I don't think that's controversial, but it did change the tone of the film in my mind because I'm picturing her as Issa from um, Insecure as the pimp, and that's hilarious. No, because she'd be she'd be cutting her eyes all around, wondering 
She's like, this motherfucker, this motherfucker, did you just pull a gun on me? But I thought she could be a good man. (laughs) She would. I know. Oh, man, I I hope that's the fourth season of Insecure. (laughs) And for Iris, I have Marseille Martin. Is her name Marseille? Is that how you say it? I don't know. Who is it? The girl, the the young girl from Blackish, Diane. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know, but that's very, very, it's very interesting, Ma. Thank you. That's my recasting. All right. So my recasting. You're not going to yell at me for recasting black people in this movie about No, because I did the same thing. Oh, okay. 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 Because I was like, the problem is, is that if you were going to recast it straight up now, I was thinking, well, who would you recast as De Niro? And automatically yeah. they're like, oh, because they're as good as De Niro. And so I'm like, well, what young actor would you would you like straddle that or like put that on? Mm. And you instantly go to Zac Efron. But I just think Zac Efron's too handsome. Yeah, I mm-mm. I, I don't think he has the ap- ap- acting chops. Yeah, and that's the thing. That. I don't know who has the acting. Like, what, Eddie Redmayne, maybe? <laughs> Whoa, that would be an interesting take on it. So, yeah. He, he has the acting chops. I don't know. That's, that's weird and spindly. Type. Who? I, weird and spindly. Yeah. Mm. But, mm. yeah, I just didn't really feel like... Like walking down there, and really the the reason was, is, and it makes no sense because it, uh, the whole thing was was well, who am I gonna cast as easy? Because that's super problematic. It's like who am I comfortable? What child am I comfortable with <laughs> casting as a sex worker? You apparently had no qualms about it. It was very easy saying, for you. Hopefully, she has a nineteen-year-old sister who can do the sex thing. Oh, I also read though Nerd Alert for Jodie Foster that before she did the role, like the for the end in the massacre scene, that that they walked her through everything and showed her all of the technical aspects about what was going to happen and stuff. And she was actually, she was like, oh, that was like super cool. And I loved looking and seeing how they were going to do everything. And then they also sent her to UCLA for, uh, to like be psychologically evaluated to see if she was going to be scarred by this. Oh, wow. Um, and then she got a lot of help from Robert De Niro because Martin Scorsese, I, I don't, he was like i don't know what to tell her (laughs) that's like i don't want to scar this woman this young girl so i don't know how to direct her and so i think like she and robert de niro like worked it out and he she used his used him as a mentor throughout her career oh um so my recasting We'll go with for so for Travis, I went with Cynthia Erivo, who was in Widows with your Travis. And she's also gonna be playing Harriet Tubman in the upcoming Harriet Tubman biopic. Oh, okay. And I thought that would be funny. I'm not funny, but I was like, oh, she would be good. Like she was a vet and she just came home from the war. Yeah. And she's and so then for um 
So then I was like, I, I was flummoxed because I didn't know then who to cast for easy. Like, and I was like, well, who do I feel comfortable casting as a 12 year old sex worker? And I cast Macaulay Culkin. Okay. I was just like, yeah. You're putting a whole different spin on this. Okay, so, I'm wrapping my brain around it. So she, because I'm like, well, she saves Macaulay Culkin's sex work. And don't, doesn't everyone, isn't everyone right now questioning and wondering, did he need to be saved or no? Hot mic. <laughs> so I thought I thought, well, there you go. That solves it because exactly. then you I don't, don't have, have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't have to worry about like maybe scarring someone. It's like right. eh, this guy was already in the fire. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> so for the Betsy character, I cast the Keith Stanfield. Because it, I was like, it has to be somebody who's like cool, but then he wouldn't, but he like refutes her when she when he finds out that she's weird. But he would have to give her a chance. And mm-hmm. so then for Tom, I cast because Tom would be the one that is really trying to vie for his for the Keith Stanfield's uh, affection. So I put Carrie Washington. Yes, it was like oh, so there you have that was my recasting. Well done. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. So we both went in a little different direction there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I said most of my tasty nuggets because, again, tasty nuggets and nerd alerts often cross paths. Well, I saved or, some, so or merge. But I do have one. I'm guessing your one is like the big one, right? Obviously not. Oh, well, let me do my tasty nuggets. Okay, and then. When I don't get to that, then you'll see if it is. Because there's like a big thing. There's a big tasty nugget of this thing. Okay. Um, but so the producers, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese, were not the first choices for the producers. They wanted Robert Mulligan to direct it. And we know him from To Kill a Mockingbird. And they wanted Jeff Bridges to be Travis Bickle. That was my tasty nugget. Ah, interesting that you ignored the huge tasty nugget of this film. Um, But Paul Schrader had the last word. And so he, because this movie was very personal to him. So I already mentioned this was the third Martin Scorsese film. Um, He chose to have it be um, a Vietnam veteran. I think because I I mentioned that because of the national trauma that the war served. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the wrong man, the religious symbolism, he got the R rating, the Mohawk. Robert, did, did I say that he lost 35 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. The dying streets. Oh, the last shot of the film, how it's, it's from above and it's a tracking shot. That was my, I forgot to put that down. That was my, one of my best reheatables. It's probably the best reheatable. The oh. final tracking shot after the massacre, the shot when the camera's looking down from the ceiling oh, and yeah. it tracks yeah. back. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. The, the setup, that shot 
the planning of it, the prep. It took three months to prep it. Wow. Because the only way they could get it to work was to cut out the ceiling. Yeah. So you don't have the huge tasty nugget of, because it's not really a tasty nugget. It's more like a uncomfortable nugget. How John Hinckley saw this movie and became obsessed with Jodie Foster. Yeah. And he wanted to impress her. And she was at Yale at the time. And so that's why he shot Ronald Reagan. And then the FBI and everybody immediately went to question Paul Schrader and Scorsese. And Jodie Foster needed security and bodyguards and stuff to be around her. Because none of the filmmakers had anything to you know, to do with this. Although Paul Schrader said that he had had no contact with Hinckley, but he had lied. He lied to the FBI because Hinckley sent, he, he got a letter from a guy in Colorado saying that he wanted to know how to get in contact to meet Jodie Foster. And he and his secretary just threw it away. And when they, the FBI asked him, he said that he hadn't because if he had said yes, we did, but we threw it away that it was just going to be a whole can of worms because we'd be like, well, why did you throw it away? And at the time, it was like, there's this letter from this guy. Like, exactly. You'll just throw it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe Schmo wants to meet Jodie Foster. I'm not going to help that happen, so yeah. bye-bye. And so Martin's like, when all that came out, Martin Scorsese, he thought about quitting filmmaking because he felt oh, so bad. wow. Because that was in 1982, and this film came out in 1976, so it wasn't like, boom, boom, it came out. Right. He just watched it, and it's interesting because the movie is based, not based, but takes um, influence from the guy who shot, who became obsessed and shot Wallace. And I was reading um, in a break that we had during the recording of this podcast that he that Arthur Bremer guy wanted to assassinate Nixon and he it wasn't going to happen for him to assassinate Nixon because he's a president and the president has way more security so that's when he was like it's either going to be Nixon or Wallace and he decided on Wallace hmm. and that was just half-assed me skimming Wikipedia coming up with that so then that yeah, goes there's, huh there's a whole lot more stuff about um the movie but time constraints made me stop yeah me me too i was running out of it so i basically just thought it was interesting that this movie comes from this guy who assassin tried to well yeah attempted anyway shot a political person and then this movie's made and then some guy watches it and he's like oh i'm gonna assassinate the president because i want to impress the actress that's in it and it's like, yeah. Whoa. But there's like, you know, you can't control. No. You know, crazy's going to be crazy. Yeah. I mean, that would have made sense to Travis. Yeah. And it made sense to like crazy people. Exactly. Because Travis was crazy too. Yeah. He was. So there you have it. Well, um,. It is revered as one of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it. Yeah, I respect it. It's not one of my favorite films. Yeah, it was on our list, and mm-hmm. and you know, as I said, I I was scrambling, and so I went. You know what? Let's let's just do it. Yeah. It's a, like you know you hear about it a lot. It shows up in pop pop culture. It's in memes and stuff. You should know what it is. Are you talking to me? Yeah, you talking. Are you talking to me? Exactly. Yes. All right. All right, Erin. Next week. Next week, you're never going because I had never heard of this film. Ooh. Until you haven't heard of it. But I checked, and it is available for rent on iTunes. Okay. I was reading this article on the Ringer website, which is a website that I frequent. And I started reading it, and then I decided to stop because I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a movie with this lady. It's still March, right? Is that still Women's History Month or something? Yes, Yes. Women's History Month. And I was like, you know what? This woman, because this article is about how this woman was never got her due and maybe she's getting her due now and a lot of people are going back and revisiting what she did because she was a director in the 70s she was responsible for a movie that we'll probably do at some point but I didn't want to start with it I debated it it's considered to be the biggest flop in history and a lot of people talk mad shit about it but it turns out that a lot of people that talk mad shit about it never actually saw it and then once they saw it, they were like, I was actually entertained by this movie, but we're not doing that movie. We'll do that okay. movie later. <laughs> we don't we don't get to be entertained. Okay. No, we're going because she wasn't in that movie. Oh okay. we're going with her debut, which she also starred in in 1971. It was her this woman and Walter Matthau starred in a movie together. And this woman is the Elaine May. Oh. Of you. I mean, we all know Mike Nichols, but Mike Nichols was in a very famous comedy group called Nichols and May. Right. And Mike Nichols, you know, got to go and become Mike Nichols because he was a guy. And Elaine May had to endure a lot of BS because she was a woman. Mm hmm. And so this 1971 is a black comedy called A New Leaf. You're right. I have never heard with of it. With Walter Matthau. And I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to, in, I want to see me some Elaine May. Because Excellent. the other movie I was talking about is Ishtar. Oh, and yeah, I never saw it, but boy, was it panned. Yeah, but people apparently are like, it's not really that bad. And she got a bad, and then, you know, she got a reputation as being difficult, but it's, how much of that is it her reputation for, like, if she was a man, would she have been labeled as difficult? Just like Babs Streisand, you know, so. It's so difficult because she wants it perfect. You know, obviously, well, we'll see. But from what I can tell, and I just thought it's Women's Month. There was the article about her. And also more people are kind of going back and being like, who is she because of the popularity of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? 
Okay. All righty then. So there a you go. A new leaf. A new leaf. I can I can kind of give you a little bit of what it's about because I All read right, it in the be article fun. before I stopped. So Walter Matthau, he wants to marry a rich woman. And he dreams of marrying a rich woman so he can kill her. Automatically, I'm in. <laughs> I'm like, this is Dateline Friday night. Like, this stuff happens all the time. And then Elaine May, I think she plays a botanist who just wants to, to find a new fern so it can be named after her. And I'm like, you know what? Let me see what you're doing, Elaine May. Because this sounds intriguing. So let's just see what it is. I think it sounds great. All right. A new leaf. Mm -hmm. Hence, the botanist. Yes. Starring, written, directed, and starring Elaine May. Excellent. All right. Well, listeners, another disclaimer about the whole uh, Rocky fiasco. It isn't Wendy's birthday. It's in October, and we celebrated her birthday in October, and I just decided her birthday was also in March. Yeah. So we're not we're not losing. She's not losing out on a birthday fun time by not being able to be here. Yeah. Little known fact: my birthday is actually in May. Ma just decided that it was August fifteenth, so that's what we've celebrated every year. <laughs> okay listeners we hope you enjoyed our heavy duty taxi driver and next week maybe a little levity or not it's a black comedy right there you go all right <laughs> bye, -bye. bye, -bye.